Hey up. It's Matt. You're listening to episode 95 of the Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast. It's the show where I try and cover the most interesting stories in action sports and other related endeavours. Thanks for listening to this one. Hope you enjoy it. So yeah, I've had a month or so off. Not intentional, really. I've just been very busy with work. And then I went on holiday to Cornwall. I did have a few episodes planned for when I was down in the southwest. But in the end, to quote the great Paul Calf, I couldn't be asked. Well, not really. I just realised I actually needed a holiday that didn't actually turn into work, which is my usual trick in those situations. So yeah, put the laptop away, postpone the episodes that I had planned. I'm not going to say I had a digital detox because I didn't, but I got a few waves. Um, actually got a suntan, much to the amazement of a lot of my friends who are used to my uh, usual relationship with the sun. And all that really. And then I went straight into my event, which I've been talking about recently, uh, the ACM Elements thing and pin drop the night that I uh, hosted with Nicholas Muller, Scofield, and Curran and Mickey Smith. Went really well. Going to chat about that in Housekeeping Corner at the end. But yeah, cleared myself a bit of space. Looked at, uh, you know, pretty decent forecast down there. I'm actually down in Croyd right now for a stag do. I've come down a day early because I thought I'll have a surf before the madness kicks in. And uh, I thought I'd pop along to see Nick Hounsfield at the site of the new wave facility near Bristol to record this episode. Now, like most British surfers, I've been following the story of the wave for a good few years now. And I've long been intrigued by Nick's role in the whole visionary escapade, really. It's a classic feel the dream style. If you build it, they will come story this. One man and his unlikely vision. And Nick has spent a decade tirelessly plotting to bring this idiosyncratic scheme to life rich territory for a podcast conversation so with the project close to completion and as I discovered the team literally about to turn the tap on and it is actually a big tap like I say I went along to the site to meet Nick and get shown around and find out about the whole thing and the result is a conversation that covers a lot of diverse emotional ground really because the wave is much more than a story about well a wave as you're going to discover there's a deeper purpose at play and a wider community vision for which surfing is actually just the vehicle. And there's another level to this lot as well, which is the implications of such developments for surfing as a whole and what it's going to mean for our oldest and certainly most jealously protected sideways culture. So yeah, lovely weighty chat this one. Like I say, conducted on site um, a few weeks before UK Surf Culture Changes Forever like I say, we recorded this one on a walk around the site. So I got to see the entire thing from Nick's perspective. I got to go and um, check out, you know, how it's going to work, the engineering behind it and the whole the whole place, really. That does mean there's a hellish amount of background noise going on in this one. But I figured because it was such a unique opportunity and a one-off scenario that everyone listening would uh, let me off on that one. So I hope you can get your head past that and enjoy this uh, unique insight into the man behind the wave, Nick Hounsfield. Enjoy. Uh, right, I'm with Nick. How you doing, Nick? I'm good, yeah, really good to see you. Yeah, so we're here. Um, so this is, uh, we're at the wave. Mm-hmm. What is it now, the 12th of September? Uh, yeah, it is, yeah. All so... Day. 
How long have you been on site? I mean, this is obviously, I always say this when I do this type of podcast on site, like, you know, not the most visual medium, but uh, I'll try and describe it. So this is like a pretty ridiculous hive of activity. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Clearly a massive build going on. So how long have you been here? Uh, we've been here on site doing the doing properly uh, since January, so not a huge amount of time considering as you're about to see what we've built. Yeah. Um, uh, we started probably middle, middle of last year uh, to uh, start doing the preparatory work on the land, so we had to do a whole load of archaeology work um, just to make sure that the site was clear of any sort of Roman villas or anything right. kind of, uh, you know crazy underground which there wasn't we did find a couple of roman bodies and oh, a whole load of silver coins which was kind of interesting wow so um, what happens then do you have to like kind of get the local archaeologists in to sort of have a look and give it the give it the all clear yeah weirdly they have to first of all the police get involved and make sure that the the bodies are old enough that they're not part of a, like a crime um, yeah right and then uh and then once they've been dated and they get the the go-ahead to then be able to exhume them properly um they get carbon dated properly and uh, and then they are uh, laid to rest somewhere else a bit more respectfully rather right. than having a surfing lake built R- on top of them. Sure. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, this whole area, I mean, absolutely stunning area right on the on the um, shores of the River Seven where good old Seven Board trundles down regularly. I was going to ask you about um, that because, I mean, it is, it's a right, I mean, what a catchment area, you know, mile from the M5, yep. whole of Bristol. Yep. You know, you, you're basically going to get every surfer in the country driving past here, really. Yeah. Obviously not from the south, but, yep. you know, from the or even, like, down my way, we end up driving this way, really. Yeah. So, yeah, it's quite a, an ideal site. How long did it take you to find this, then? Um, so, when I first thought about uh, building this kind of place, uh, we had a couple of non-full sort of starters on in terms of land. So, we looked at one that was real close to the city centre which was just going to be too small and too tricky to do. Right. And then we had another look at some more land um, up nearer here. And then actually came to the engineering company to try and help us scope out um, some of the pieces of land we're looking at. Um, And the guy who owns the engineering company said, yeah, definitely want to help you, but I've got a couple of hundred acres out the back here. Uh, Right. Do you want to come and build it here with us? Um, Right. And that's really where, yeah, where the journey started properly with, yeah, with the team here that built and or designed this and then helping us build it yeah um and uh yeah it's been it's been a roller coaster since then mainly so, positive and how big's the site so the whole site um that we've got planning for is about uh 75 acres right but it sits within about 250 acres of sort of low-grade agricultural land but with a beautiful backdrop of on you know on the southern side of this escarpment beautiful woodlands and then obviously rolling off onto the floodplains of the seven yeah um, so it's a stunning pretty rural location and and that's going to be the real interesting twist is taking something really modern and very sort of cutting edge technology wise and then blending and fusing it with this sort of beautiful natural surroundings which was i guess the core ethos day one of doing this was about getting people outdoors into nature the whole sort of blue and, and green health agenda um so that's the bit that's really exciting but equally has got challenges with it well one of the things that struck me i read the wired piece that was mm-hmm. out the other week and you know, the lead on that is obviously that part of the story, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. you kind of went with that whole, um, you know, angle that basically the, the 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 origin of this whole idea for you wasn't 
like surfing was almost a vehicle for a bigger idea is that fair to say like yeah. as, as, as a as a space a community space an outdoor space yeah somewhere that people can try and almost like reset balance if you like yeah 100 percent. so my background was in healthcare as a complementary healthcare practitioner um and what i was seeing is just an ever-increasing problem with older people not getting out not getting enough exercise and me having to try and help them with those sort of physical and mental issues that were coming about because of that lack of activity yeah uh, and young people it's around the time of the city riots as well young people were starting to feel like um you know they were um they're becoming the brunt really of a lot of the bad press that was out there that they were the ones that were sort of kicking off in the city and creating problems 2011 yeah it was around that time yeah, yeah. um and i just suddenly thought this is this is this is really screwed up there's got to be a way of changing this and started to sort of reflect a bit i guess on sort of mediterranean cultures where you've got old people and young people and you know sometimes four even five generations all mixing in the same place and actually how that restored quite a bit of harmony there was you know a bit of self-policing going on within that yeah. community yeah that like you know that ri- that community walking ritual almost that you see when you go abroad and people are out in in, in the evening aren't they yeah. like walking together yeah. like very tangible sense of community isn't exactly it? and it was just something i really sensed that was lacking i was wondering whether that was a real driver of some of the issues that we were seeing um so you've seen that in the, pra- the, the, the literal practice and the physical practice that you were doing, you were seeing that, the, you were seeing the symptoms of this lifestyle related stress, if you like. 100%. And, and, yeah. and so, because obviously, what you're ta- so you're an osteopath, right? Yeah. So, you're trying to treat physical symptoms of stress, essentially. Yeah. So, you were seeing that, absolutely that seeing outcome. That. Yeah. Right. I mean, a classic would be, you know, I'd be treating 70, 80 year old patients who were reading, you know, the rag papers in the morning yeah. and assuming that they, as soon as they step out the front door they're going to get mugged by a hoodie so yeah. they weren't going out they were just fearful they were getting meals delivered to them they were getting shopping deliveries to them they're barely going out except for going to see the GP or going to see a healthcare practitioner yeah. I was like that's so screwed up that, that can't be right yeah. so how can I try and readdress that balance yeah. um, and at that time you know couple of other sort of significant events in my life I just thought there's got to be a way of creating a better a better future here right um now, a passionate surfer, I didn't think that that was going to be able to play a part in that, but I could see that creating a destination which could, could deliver on, on, on those issues would be a real opportunity. And it was just complete fate that one night just stumbled across the, you know, the, the video from Wavegarden that they just released that day. And that was the sort of, holy crap, that is, right. that, that is the scent. If, if I could put that, something I'm absolutely passionate about, yeah. surfing, in the middle of that destination, of that, of that place where people could come and, and deliver that, that to me, just, it, it just suddenly felt like, like, yeah, it was the cooling, I guess. It was the moment where I just thought, this is, this is where it could all happen. Had you explored any other ideas about what no. it could be? No. So it was, at, that, at that point, it was a bit of an intangible. It was a bit of a a concept an idea of a of a, a community related experience if you like that yeah. was looking for a you know a, a, something to hang it on well i knew it would be outdoors it'd be water-based because i absolutely love water if i'm not surfing then i'm fishing or just chimping around somewhere near water yeah um so i knew that water and outdoors uh would be a significant part of it but i had absolutely no idea really what it could be right um until really that technology was released and i suddenly went oh, yeah this this feels and particularly the setting of the wave garden uh, demo center because it is in fields it is in a lovely little wooded Always valley it's pretty nice yeah it's lovely and um, so 
So then it, you know, it literally was, I had that as a real gem, the nugget, yeah. right at heart that I could drop into the middle of that vision and, and then get on and try and deliver that. Um, I, I, so that kind of higher vision, you know, mm-hmm. that sounded too lofty about it. Is that one of the things that sort of sustained it? Because one of the things I've been interested in, I've been following this for years, obviously, like yeah. every British surfer probably has, you know, yeah. I've chatted to you on and off for a few years, just checking in sometimes, mutual friends, all that. And you know it's been it from the outside it looks like it's been very difficult to deliver this yeah and a lot of i imagine times when you must have thought you know what like kind of you know tilling at windmills kind of thing like how am i ever going to deliver this how am i yeah. going to pull this off so did that did that help you sustain the effort yeah i mean i think having a clear reason why i mean you know a lot of people talk about purpose and the purpose behind you know the way that you are as a human the way that you start up a business or try and do something entrepreneurial that the stuff that will work is the ones that have got a really good core driven sort of purpose behind it but I didn't I don't think I recognize that as being you know what I had at the time but now reflecting going well no I always just had this real sort of real focus on 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 you know the, the why I'm doing this and I think that has always driven it because by, by being able to describe that uh, you know that sort of really wanting to make a positive impact um, on the world is that n- nobody then says that's a crazy idea so then everybody's immediately going well that sounds immediately brilliant because why yeah. wouldn't you sure and then and then it's immediately right how can I help you rather than you know you know why are you doing this what you want to make a bit of money or you want to you want to get people a bit more active or uh, you know you're wanting to surf more well that's a bit crap and a bit crass yeah so oh you want to make a difference to the world well yeah how can we help because everyone wants that well a man with a vision is a great story you know especially when it when it is achieved like this yeah so how difficult was it to keep that going because you sound like you're pretty positive and you you make it sound like it was all like oh no you know that but surely there were periods where you were a bit like jesus yeah only only ever had one time where i thought it couldn't happen and and dared to believe that it wouldn't happen the rest of the time if you ask any of my team uh they'll they'll you know through laughter say what an eternal optimist i am right and that i will always 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 find uh, the solution around you know a barrier um yeah. I, I i dwell on problems for about five seconds and then and then i'm on trying to work a way around it yeah um we only had one time uh, about two christmases ago where um a, a significant player in the land deal um was potentially um not going to happen and uh, literally it, for a second it felt like the world fell around me uh, I just thought I can't get around this one this right. one's too hard um, but my I can remember I was in the bedroom at home uh, just took the phone call saying that the land deal looked like it was going to collapse around us and that was the first time I sat on the edge of the bed and yeah properly cried I just right. thought this is just too difficult now right. This is too, I can't get around this one um, and bless my little son Dylan he just sort of heard me crying uh, and came into the bedroom just put his arm around me it's like don't worry dad I know you'll find a way around this and it was just like a shot in the arm just like fuck yeah I'm gonna do this right. I can do this I can, I can work it out um, and just immediately got in the car with him and, and uh, went to go and uh, speak to the land, uh, landowner and, and got it sorted there and then right um, but that was the one time in like nearly 10 years now. yeah um, the rest of the time it's just just always another hurdle ahead just either get over it and if you can't get over it get around it yeah and just surround ourselves with just amazing people like truly amazing people yeah well i'd be should we have a look yeah so where, 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 where should we go, go through the front door, like we can't go through the front door. <laughs> they are uh, 
they're getting fixing that up. But let's yeah. go, let's go round. So this is the main. Way. We're outside the main lodge. Yeah. So presumably. this is the main clubhouse. So this will be the sort of entrance people come into, um, and basically the building splits into half. You got the sort of wet side and the dry side. Yeah. We'll, we'll nip through here. Okay. Um, and um, a wet side and a dry side. Wet side for surfers, dry side for people who are about to go surfing or people who are just visiting, spectators, uh, where there'll be like a cafe, stroke restaurant, a um, little bit of retail space, uh, sort of education room, um, those kind of things. Do you have um, to make that case for, to get planning permission yeah, for a facility like this? Particularly here. Especially so on this site, yeah, maybe? Yeah, we're right in the middle of Greenbelt. So, yeah. you know, everything has to be really properly thought through and justified um, oh, from wow. a... Sorry, I've just spotted <laughs> you. Yeah. only seen the lake. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, to get planning for something like this is was unprecedented. They never, nobody had ever got planning permission for something like this in Greenbelt before. Right. So we really had to provide uh, the planning committee with all the reassurance that we've designed this properly. So it's a single story building, timber and glass, really trying to keep it in keeping with the um, surroundings. So yeah, low so visual impact. Sympathetic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, and the same is true of the lake is that we try to design it so that uh, it sits inside the landscape rather than stands up proud of it yeah um which uh well we're here now i'll talk you through it but yeah wow so here's our massive so this is the lake this so how, is the lake maybe let's go and just stand over there so we get less of that wind a little bit yep. i'm definitely testing listener patience for uh <laughs> <laughs> atmospheric conditions um so I mean, it's fucking massive. Like, how big it's is huge. it? So yeah, it's um, the shoreline here is about 220, 250 meters wide. Yeah. Uh, across that angle, and then you've got the main surfing lake. Um, uh, so you've got down one end the wave garden, uh, wave making technology, um, and then basically on each side you've got three distinct areas where the waves break over um, reefs that have been formed out of the base of the uh, lake. Yeah. And you've got two sides of the lake, uh, which uh, perfectly reflect each other. So you've got out the back, so to speak, you've got the uh, expert wave or what we're calling the reef wave. Yeah. You've got two intermediate zones where the wave reforms and creates a sort of chest high. Yeah, you, can, of, see, uh, you can see the banks, can't you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then you've got this big sort of beginner zone where the wave will just come through yeah. in a kind of more like Waikiki style you sort of, wave. You sort of beach breaky, exactly. yeah, crumbly, friendly yeah. one. It's literally like taking a slice out of the ocean yeah. and dropping it in the middle of a field. So, I mean, it's a good point to talk about the technology because mm. obviously that's been a huge part of this story. Yeah. And if I'm right, it was also why you sort of voluntarily um, put the, the, you know, slowed it down, let's say, at mm -hmm. one point because you felt the technology that existed at the time wasn't fit for purpose. Yep. Is, that, is that a bit harsh? Or? Uh, not fit for, it's not that it wasn't fit for purpose. The, wasn't good enough. It wasn't what we needed for, we'd done, a we'd done a load of market research and said, look, yeah, absolutely, there are going to be a load of really keen, pretty good surfers who would come and try this, no doubt. Yeah. But we really saw that the, the opportunity around this was around beginners and intermediates and introducing them into, you know, sport or activity um, in a way that just had never been done before. And also that's where the volumes of people are. So, so it didn't make any sense to build something that was, you know, pretty much mainly geared for elite people, not elites or maybe sort of, sort of good to advanced type way uh, surfers. 
Um, and uh, yeah, w without a doubt, the technology, the previous technology, the lagoon technology with the sort of foil underwater, um, delivered a really fun experience for you know a better surfer. Yeah. But we couldn't see how the beginner and intermediate experience was good enough that it would be sticky enough that people would then go, I just yeah want to do that lot. Yeah. And so that then has a real effect on how you could develop it as a business. So you're then having to prop it up with your food and your accommodation and all those other things. And we really want to make sure that the, the core product, the surfing, is so darn good that you just come back and do it time and time again anyway. Right. Um, so the technology caught up with that vision. Absolutely. The the and, and then there were loads of sort of engineering frailties with the previous technology, lots of single points of failure in the engineering. Yeah. So we went back and we said to the Wave Garden guys, look, we love you guys as a company, but there are some real issues around the engineering. Yeah. And if you can solve those, then we absolutely can continue to work with you. Um, and a few years later, they then came back and said, yeah, Fernando called me up and said, Nick, you've got to come and see what I've built. And we went out there and yeah, that was the other time I probably cried when I looked right. at it and went, oh my goodness, those waves are amazing. And that absolutely is going to deliver what, what I, I hoped it would. Right, so um, the relationship with them has been critical throughout this whole thing. Oh, absolutely critical. Were, yeah, they, no. were they among the first people that you contacted then when you they first were, this? There were two people that I contacted to start off with. Uh, one was Wave Garden, um, which took a few months for them to get back to me because they were inundated when they released that video clip yeah, sure. originally. Uh, and then I gave uh, Tim Smith a call um, from the Eden Project um, to find out whether it was something that I should pursue and see first of all if maybe I could spend some time with him to understand the challenges of doing something as, as in like something so visionary and yeah uh, and in that space yeah and, and I knew that his background was not in developing uh, the kind of crazy thing that he he'd, he'd built so just wanted to get some pointers as to how to go about that right um, and, and uh, you, weren't, you weren't too daunted when he uh, when he filled you yeah, in. Yeah, he said, yeah, no, he said, he said it, that's a ridiculous idea, and you got to do it. Right. Um, and gave me, you know, gave me a few contact details of key people to get in contact with. Uh, one in particular, Chris Hines, who's sort of our head of sustainability. Uh, you know, who's the founder of one of the founding members of Surfers Against Sewage, and um, he's been a mentor to me the whole time, really. Just so what's Chris's role been? So, yeah, I mean, he's, he's been a sounding board from, from day one, but he really helped me sit down and work out how to structure the business in a way that absolutely could be profitable but deliver on the purpose. Okay. Um, particularly at the time, because we were right in the middle of the economic crisis when we started this whole thing. So, you know, a lot of people looked at the objectives I was trying to achieve and said, well, it's clearly a charity. It's like, well... Yeah, but you can't go out and raise millions and millions and millions of pounds easily for a charity and then build something that's never been built before. Where do you think that assumption came from then? Because of the kind I, of social purpose yeah, side of it. exactly. I think it was because, because of so much of the vision was based around social impact and being environmentally sustainable. They said, well, those are, the, those are objectives that, that only belong in charities. Right. Which was a real interesting challenge. Um, and then uh, Chris and I met up. And ironically, we both, we both brought to the same meeting... Um, uh, Yvonne Schoenard's book, um, Let My People Go yep. Surfing, um, which had only freshly come out at that stage. And we both sort of sat down for the first time, put them on the table, like, oh, I was going to recommend you read that. So I was going to recommend you read that. It's like, well, this is, this is the way that we should be structuring this business is, you know, absolutely make profit and don't be, you know, don't be 
you know, um, feel ashamed of that. Uh, but have actually, a guiding principle. Yeah, guiding principles which make the world a better place. We've um, always like referred to people that work on the projects as wave makers, right? And mm. you've always been very specific about that. Yeah. You know, that was obviously an intentional thing that is presumably intended to follow through on that purpose and that idea, right? Absolutely. And we also, you know, 2012, so this all started around sort of 2010, but 2012 and the Olympic Games, you know, and having the games makers who were the real, they were the real success story of the London Olympics. Yeah. Um, in how they just absolutely encapsulated uh, through every, every bit of their body, uh, the positivity that those games brought. Um, and I just, you know, I can remember now just sitting down going, that's what we need. We just need loads of games makers. That, that's, that's, those are the people that I can imagine working day to day with on this. Right. Uh, and then, yeah, it sort of turned into wave makers. And then we were like, well, yeah, we just need a, our, our group of wave makers who are just brilliant people who are doing everything for the right reason. Uh, we're all different in, in, you know, in our own way, but fundamentally we've got that core purpose and understand why we're doing this. Um, and yeah, if you're to meet the rest of the team, it's no doubt that it's just, it's infectious through the whole lot. There's a really great bunch of uh, men and women who are absolutely get why we're doing this and are hell bent on making sure that it's delivered with fun and smiles uh, and, um, and yeah, a, a real sense of care, which I think is what came across in the Olympics as well. Yeah. Um, so that's something that we've really taken time to develop as a culture in the company from day one. and. You know, thankfully, even with the scaling up of the team we've got at the moment, that absolutely that's one thing you get when you come into our office is a sense of, okay, this, this is just a great bunch of people to be with. Yeah. Um, How many people you got now? So we've got, at the moment, 40, and it's going up to 80 in about three weeks' time. Yeah. So it's, yeah, we're ramping up real quick. So what is the time scale? So like when when you when you due to open? Yeah, well, um, project manager was just there. You just heard he's hope he was hoping to push for uh, tomorrow for the taps to be turned on here. Yeah, and it's going to be Monday now. Um, it's going to take ten day- days to fill up with water. I, I mean, is it literally put a hose in and turn the taps on? <laughs> yeah, a big hose, mine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a giant uh, pipe that we've had to bring in off off a, a huge sort of regional mains feed, which is just about a kilometre along. Sure. Uh, and they will literally drop this huge, great slinky hose over the top, and for that initial fill. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, and then after that, it will just the the water. So we're putting in 25 million litres of water here, all pristine tap water, but then managing that water on. Site. we've got a whole water treatment works here which then should be a one-time fill and then we'll just be balancing it uh, you know, some evaporative loss and then obviously some some rainfall so uh, so then it's just balancing those levels over that time but yeah the water's got to be got to be absolutely gin clear and um, and you know uh, just like tap water the whole time yeah I mean looking at this site and seeing the scale of this you, you, the engineering challenges mm. that must be involved are, are, are pretty apparent yeah you know so has that been how much of a challenge has that been because massive yeah because you know like you can talk about like oh yeah wave garden have like developed this new technology which but then to actually like make that happen in a field near bristol yeah with this much concrete yeah this many people yeah and you know i'm imagining there's some fairly secret source specs involved mm-hmm. that are crucial yeah there are i mean you know wavegarden have have made amazing technology and i'm not going to take anything away from them with regards to that because it is is phenomenal what they they've done in their demo facility and i have no absolutely no doubt that 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 they'll be able to create here the tricky thing is that they sort of uh 
handed over a, a bathymetry, so the lake of the, you know, the shape of the lake of the, uh, of, of, um, the bottom of the lake, uh, and said, oh, and this is, this is how you absolutely, within a tolerance of a few millimeters, have to design the base of the lake. Um, and what they first showed us was pretty much impossible to build um, from an engineering point of view and construction point of view, really, really hard to build. So we then had to call on Hydrock, who are our main engineers here, who have taken basically the sort of curved banks and uh, you know submerged reefs and all of those things, and have had to break them up into over a thousand individual sections, which you'll be able to see here. It's like a little patchwork, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. Yeah, you can together. really you can really see it exactly. So they so basically they come up with the technology, but that's not the complete puzzle. Like then there's the puzzle of like actually translating that into reality how based, to build it based upon the site exactly yeah. and, the, and, the, and the specific site conditions here so the challenges we've got here um, is that the water level of the ground is really really high so if you were to just build this without having taken that into consideration um, filling the lake you'd be able to get it all up and running but if later you needed to empty the lake which you know touch wood we never have to do but if we ever had to empty the lake and it was during a period of heavy rainfall and potential flood the entire lake as you see it right now would lift and float like a concrete ship um, so from an engineering perspective um, we had to get the entire site uh, an like underground drainage system for the land before we could even build on it because otherwise uh, there is a real risk that one day if we ever emptied this the whole thing would just lift up and crack apart sure so that in itself was three four million pounds worth of design and build and all the rest just to get the ground ready to then build on um, now that took you know six to nine months to do all the design work for that and you know cost it and then of course at that stage it was a cost we didn't know that we had to bear right so then going back to the investors and going we just add another sort of four or five million on that, please, because yeah. we hadn't appreciated these particular ground sort of conditions. So, yeah, the whole time it's felt like, you know, it's one way traffic. It's like just stuff coming in at us that we're going, well, we can't omit that. Otherwise, it's going to be could be a disaster in the future. So this is like the most complicated concrete sort of slab you'll see anywhere in the world right now. Yeah. So, it's I mean, never can, been built before. It's, it's very apparent. Um, I imagine there's a few nervy moments. Yeah, a few definitely. nervy pause. Yeah, there've been definitely yeah. a few moments where we thought maybe it can't even physically be built, can't be done. So as much as we want it to be done, if it can't physically be built, and we could build this uh, just by putting sort of various layers underneath and put a, a, a sort of membrane over the top, um, but it's just not robust and it's just too, too, too risky. So we built this once build it to last we've taken a load of considerations as well because it is a lot of concrete so things like the way the, the specifics around this concrete we've got these sort of little nylon fibers holding the concrete together rather than putting loads of reinforced steel structure in there so really trying to reduce down the sort of footprint of what we're building but fundamentally the you know the most unsustainable thing to do is to build something that's going to break or sure. could break so build it once build it to last and then uh, you know you've got something. Then you can you, you can really sort of build off for the future. Presumably, finding the partners to pull this off has been a huge part of this mission. Yeah, definitely. Um, we is were that in a normal brief, is it? It's not. No, and you know, and and, and you know, there's no doubt that there's not a single person that hasn't really wanted to work on this. It's more around the risk attached to it. So you know, getting our engineering designers to build this. Uh, you know there are there's some real risks in the design because they it's never been done before. Yeah. But obviously with that risk comes reward. You know we've 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 made it very 
very clear and our investors made it very clear that we want to do this amazingly, make it really beautiful and then and then replicate that in other places. So all that knowledge that's being earned and all that risk that those partners have taken will pay dividends in that you know they're going to help us deliver the London project, they're going to help us deliver future projects uh, across Europe. So yeah. we're, we're taking that risk together but also we'll get the rewards together we'd hope. Yeah, yeah. so, so the, I mean that's the vision. Yeah. The vision is to to the way of the brand roll it out well you know I, I honestly think that surf parks are going to pop up all over the place in the future and as first people to do it I think A is a great opportunity for us but also what I'd hate is for these to end up sort of real bastardising the sport and what it's about well um, that, that's an important topic yeah. which we should get to but yeah. you know so I think we've got a responsibility in a place that if we're going to do it we do it really well. Yeah. We do it very sensitively, not just to the environment, but also, you know, to the sport and the culture that it's embedded within. Uh, and um, and my concern is seeing some of the plans of some of the projects that are coming forwards around the world is that these could become a bit theme parky and devalue that. Yeah. So, if we're first in the world to do it, why why on earth wouldn't we? And provided we do it well, why wouldn't you do it again and and take ownership of that? Um, and make sure that those, you know, that they are done sensitively, um, both to the environment, to the planet, to the people around here, but then also to the sport and the culture through which we'll be marketing. Um, and you know, we need to, we need to have that honest conversation, and you know, about you know, uh, why we're doing this and how we can make sure that we're delivering something that is an authentic experience, even though it's not actually in, you know, it's not the waves are not being created by nature. Well, it leads nicely to it because obviously the, the main criticism from the core surf world is is that mm -hmm. firstly, and then secondly, you know you're gonna well it's the snobbery argument obviously that you're gonna encourage. You know, it's interesting earlier because you said you you may markets beginners and intermediates. Mm. Um, you know, that's probably to to your core surfer. Mm -hmm. That's probably a bit of a red rag, right? Because that is the main criticism that mm -hmm. we're well, just going to have people in the ocean that aren't. Well, you know the arguments, mm -hmm. and I don't. I'm sure people listening to this do as well. So, how do you square that one? Because obviously, you've got this sympathetic understanding of surf culture. That's very mm -hmm. clear. You know, mm -hmm. You're clearly a surfer, um, but you are opening something which a lot of people would say is at odds with that surf culture that you're mm -hmm. sort of saying that you try to protect so mm -hmm. how do you respond to that one because it's a common one right yeah, yeah no it's common um and i think you know i think the reality of it is i mean you've only got to go to the beaches in the summertime and see that you've got literally hundreds and hundreds of thousands of beginners and intermediate surfers there who you know uh you know well, that bird's flown let's be honest yeah yeah exactly um, so I think that what we've got an opportunity of doing is, is you know, yeah, we're going to be, we're definitely going to be bringing new people to the sport, but we've got an opportunity then to be able to educate a bit better around, you know, things like surf etiquette, things like sort of understanding how water moves and water flows, things like being able to talk to them about environmental impact of us inland and the, the impact that we have on coastal um, environments and marine environments. So, you know, Without a doubt, we're going to be creating more surfers. Uh, I think most of those surfers are going to go on and be surfing those beaches that are already pretty crowded on a on a summer's day. Um, you know, our seasons here in the UK are naturally going to filter. You know, that will be still remain a seasonal sport. Um, but we want to be having real honest conversations about some of those other areas, so that when people do then rock up at the at the beach that then then you know they understand the etiquette of the surf so that they're not getting in the way of other people and putting themselves and other people at danger 
that they're not getting in rips because here we've got actually the perfect absolutely perfect uh test facility for showing how rips work right we've got this real deep channel down the middle here and all the water flushes off the main reefs and washes down and creates this perfect rip we will literally be able to stand people here and go this this happens in the ocean and that's your safe space and that's your danger space um, and being able to teach them that from day one when they enter because I've been you know I've watched many a, a surf lesson now being demonstrated where you're vaguely trying to say or oh, you can roughly see a ruffled water there which is a rip and you've got to watch out for that I don't think most people actually understand what that what they're no. looking at no of course um, and here where you've got it absolutely mechanically perfectly clear you'll then be able to you know educate people as to you know that that's your friend but it could be your worst enemy and this is how you get out of these tricky situations so you know we do know that a lot of the deaths that happen down at the beach or people people getting caught out are, are weekend warriors people who don't really understand how how the surf works and how waves work and how currents work so we've got a real opportunity to educate on that and then obviously around sort of environmental impact. So here, making sure you know there'll, there'll be no single-use plastics of any kind here on site, having refill stations and being able to have those conversations about consumerism, ironically, because obviously people are consuming a product from us, but you can have that real conversation with them about, you know, when's enough's enough um, and you know do you really need another one of these? Uh, you know, we want people to come and um, you know, we, that's why we're here are going to have surfboards and wetsuits uh, for rent which are just bundled in the price so that people don't have to go out and buy a surfboard they don't have to buy a new wetsuit actually we've got stuff here that everyone can share and make sure it's just real good quality um, so yeah it's a it's a real platform to have honest conversations and we're not going to say that we're perfect by any means but it is a great platform. I've got lo loads of friends that work in sort of marine conservation, and I, I remember sort of turning up to a conference, and they're like, "Nick, you've got to come along. You've got to come along." And you know, you're doing the wave and all the rest of it. I was thinking, "Why are you asking me along? Surely, you'd be against what I'm doing because it's quite heavy use of resources and all the rest of it." And they're like, "No, you have got literally the dream educational tool for us. It's like if we can host these kind of conferences here." in water you know or around water in a place that's really accessible and and bring those conversations to life in you know with with this sort of artificial environment you created it's like it's so attractive we it gives us a platform to talk about this stuff and i was really surprised pleasantly um around that uh and they continue to be you know fully engaged with what you're doing because they just see what you, you're creating a classroom um, and and that's now how I try to look at this is a classroom for doesn't matter how what ability is whether you're you know pro surfer wanting to come and you know absolutely nail your 360 aerials or whatever it might be or your barrel riding right down to somebody a school kid from inner city Bristol who's never ever even seen a wave before in real life to be able to then educate them and that's how I see this now is, is this sort of fusion between an artificial and nature's classroom and, and yeah, and deliver that hopefully with with you know real care. Well, I think sane people obviously think that because you know you've got the you've got the whole you know ultimately the argument about surfing boils down to resources, doesn't it? And you know the whole thing that it seems to me one of the things that people dislike about new surfers is the the pressure they put on the resource. Yeah, and you know I think most people like yourself and I certainly agree with you. Just I think the same thing. I just think like it's inevitable. That, like clearly there's always going to be new surfers. You might as well draw them in mm -hmm. and, and educate them mm -hmm. and, and help them take their rightful place in the lineup rather than try and alienate them and mm -hmm. but you know I think for a lot of people that is the point really isn't mm -hmm. it they just don't want it they just yeah. don't want these 
these people so is that something you just have to kind of ignore like when you No, when you certainly do? not ignore listen to and, and and understand you know try and understand their concerns and what's driving that concern i mean if it fundamentally fundamentally is that you know we've got a finite resource of waves down at the beach um you know we know it's around about 30 40 percent of the time there are good waves to surf the rest of the time it's not um and particularly when you've got a you know classic this summer massive long flat spell and then the foot you know half decent swell comes along and it's absolutely oh, you know, you, mobbed you know tomorrow's going to be tomorrow's going to be mobbed chaos yeah no yeah. doubt because it's just been pretty junky for a while yeah and actually you know you could argue that if if over the last six weeks people have been coming and getting their fill at a place like this so they're 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 satisfied that they've had a decent surf recently it may well be and it'll be great to do some research on this one day it may well be that days like tomorrow suddenly aren't quite so pressured because people are going oh actually you know I'm, I'm, I am going to go to work tomorrow because actually I had a really good surf two days ago. Um, it may actually ease some of the pressure. I, you know, we'll be growing the audience without a doubt, but I wonder if maybe that spreads it over time rather than this is real high pressure, you know, Bristol Surf Club, 400 of them diving yeah, down on a Friday valid, afternoon. I think it's a valid argument because ultimately it's another resource and, yeah. and, and it's a... It's a more reliable resource, yep. which is the other issue with surfing. I think the whole wave pool argument and artificial surfing argument in surfing has been pretty fascinating because it is such a hand-wringing argument. I mm. mean, there's been endless stuff mm-hmm. about it. You know, yep. you tie in with the Olympics as well, which is kind mm-hmm. of related. Mm-hmm. How's it felt observing that being part of this project, especially when you throw in something like Kelly's mm-hmm. thing, which, you know, a couple of years ago now, was another big spike in that conversation mm. and it, it almost seems like the whole thing is about just how surfers get their heads around the fact that their sport's now very very popular yeah you know yeah you yeah know, how, how have you how have you observed that because it is you know i estimate who i would say is a very core surfer said mm. i was meeting you listens to the podcast <laughs> so what do you reckon and he was like well it's not real surfing is it you know and i was a bit like it's a viewpoint mm. you know like and there certainly is people that think that has what's your have you kind of when you've observed that whole conversation i don't just mean that specific thing but you know Mm. this general kind of you know it's the end of surfing as we know it dialogue that has Mm. been kind of going on what what how do you feel about that well i think what i've noticed is that that's less and less now uh so in the early days uh, i think when there was maybe a fair bit of just not knowing there were quite a lot you know and i'm pretty well hooked into into sort of I guess what you'd consider the sort of core, yeah, you're, core British scene. Imagine you're an avid consumer, yeah, like, we, exactly. like we all are. Exactly. You know? And what was interesting is that the people who originally were taking that viewpoint of being quite sceptical about it and what it was going to do, I don't think uh, there's barely a single one of those now that aren't like fully behind and asking what's you going on. Press opening is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and saying uh, any chance, any chance I could get, yeah, get a sneaky little uh, session in. Um, so I think. You know, I think when anything new comes out, is you and you know, your first thing you do is move away is, from the massive JCBA. Yeah, I think the first thing you do um, is try to work out what side of the argument you want to be on. So initially, it sort of polarizes, and then I think as you um, as you see these things come into development, so obviously Snowdonia opened, and you know that that sort of allayed some people's sort of concerns or fears, maybe. Um, as well as you know probably polarize some other people going yeah well that's definitely not you know those aren't even like ocean like waves so yeah you know there's no there's no worry there um 
And I think over time, probably people's opinions have softened to the idea. It's not massively changed, you know, surf culture by a couple of these places opening up around the world. No. But I think that's partly, I mean, Kelly's place is, is epic, but you know, it's not particularly accessible for your average Joe. Um, no, it's, a, it's, so, a, it's an outlier, isn't it? Really, exactly. So I still think, you know, the, the potential's there in terms of, um, you know, actually a sort of high volume place, destination where this thing's happening. Yeah. Um, and that's again why, A, this is very exciting, but it is, we've got to do it really responsibly. Yeah. You know, we're not saying, got to shut down the beaches and there'll be no more ocean surfing and you've got to come and surf here. <laughs> um, you know, those people that love ocean surfing and want to keep doing it, we, 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 we would never want to change that. But what we do want to do is take something that is, is a fairly scarce resource at times and be able to deliver it. And again, you know, would you put one of these right next to a really busy beach down in Cornwall? I don't, I don't, I don't personally think that there'd be any value in doing that when you've already got it all around you. But here in Bristol, we're, we're hours away from the beach. We're close to huge populations of people. Yeah. Um, and it could be an incredible, particularly with the agenda that we've been pushing from day one, an incredible uh, you know, project to deliver on that basis. Yeah. What's the local reaction been like? Generally, uh, really, really positive. Uh, I mean, there have been there have been a few vocal, very, very local neighbours. Uh, it's always the case that the sort of um, uh, the vocal few are normally the sort of naysayers, and then yeah. in, in the background, you've got about a thousand people saying, oh, "I take no notice of them." Uh, you know, we we really want this here. Yeah. So we had a few a few people, and I think it's more based around the fact that a this has never been done before. B, I've got no proven track record of ever having done something like this before. Yeah. Um, and it's about just getting, you know, good people around me that will reassure people that we're doing this for the right reason. Yeah. Uh, and in the right way. So I think they assumed it was going to be a bit of a sort of party place and a bit of a frat house, hen stag party kind of destination. Right. Um, and it's more just reassuring people that's that's not what we're about. That's not why we're doing it. Yeah. Um, but a lot of that's about walking the talk now. Really, is really showing people, you know, that 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 the main philosophy behind why we're doing this is is going to be delivered here, rather than it just be a surfing facility. That this, yeah. You know, it does become a place that the really good stuff happens. Communicate that ethos that you've exactly. had from day one. Yeah. yeah. But have real practical examples of how we've delivered against that. You you mentioned that. Um, you know that you've never delivered anything like this and I'm really struck by that because you know not to overdo the point but this is a it's a big do you know and mm. there's a lot going on and you've delivered all this obviously with the team but you know how even when you were just talking about earlier like oh yeah like you know we had to work out how to you know what you were describing about the, the, the challenges and mm. I was thinking about I was like you know fuck me where would you start <laughs> so where, where have you got the confidence to to kind of like tackle this personally like what what in what in it what is it sorry in your personality or background do you think that's enabled you to kind of meet these challenges which are which are not inconsiderable yeah um i mean like i said i mentioned before uh an, an absolute um glass half full yeah absolute optimism at all times and not in a not blind optimism as well um without a doubt i you know i know i know I'm definitely a risk taker, there's no doubt about it, always have been, used to scare the living daylights out of my parents, some of the stuff I used to do as a kid. Um, so that's there, but optimistic with it. I've without a doubt got to a point also where I sort of 
you know, threw all the chips in. I, I, you know, I had to gamble away the fact that I couldn't go back to my previous job as being an osteopath. Um, and I make light of it now, but actually not having a plan B kind of makes sure that plan A works. Um, that uh, almost by thinking about what you do if it didn't work, by inference makes you think about um, you know what what you'd hate to happen in life. So by having a really clear, firm plan A and sticking to it and be unwavering from it, so real tenacity, um, I guess that's a quality that you need really. Um, I don't think I'm stubborn, but I really, really wanted to see this finished. Yeah, you um, believed in it. Yeah, and just, just fully focus on making sure it does. And you mentioned investors. Mm -hmm. So I, was, I did have a question really about how you financed it, because obviously it's, it's, a, it's a lot of cash. Yeah. Um, so is it, did you mind talking about that? Like yeah, how, no, how, how, that, how that worked? Yeah. I started the whole thing with 500 quid in the bank. Um, and a big mortgage and three kids and all of those things that life brings. Yeah. Um, so it's not like I've come from a sort of money background and just sort of try it out for a bit of a bit of a punt. Um, it took, I guess again, it's about commu communicating really, trying to communicate as clearly as possible what, what the end looked like. Yeah. So a lot of the presentations that I did in the early days to partners who are going to come on board and investors was about yes yeah, sort of telling telling people what the future would look like um, and and describing it really so clearly and so visually that people then almost they're almost halfway there that they can see it built and they're going well why why wouldn't why wouldn't I want to be a part of something that is as exciting as this, yeah. as as beautiful the way that we laid it out, and then fundamentally it's got like a core driving purpose underneath it, which is also just the right thing to be doing in this day and age. Yeah. Um, and so. So you were selling. Yeah, I mean, I'd never, never, ever looked at myself as a salesman in my that life. Is, that but, is quite, you know. It's, it's, well, I mean, you know, I don't mean to be glib, but when you look at this, it's that's clear. Like, you know, you've sold this, and this yeah. is a, this is a. It's a big vision to communicate. Yeah. You know, so did you have that in your background or did you learn to do that as you went along? No, I didn't. I'm, I mean, I kind of, I joke when anybody sort of introduces me as sort of being the world's biggest blagger and I don't want to kind of undervalue myself, but I do at times just go, how how have I managed to kind of get to this point? Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, we're now standing in the middle of the lake yeah. underneath the... Underneath the sort of yeah what, pier what, structure, which how, is, is that where you is that where you because that's presumably where the engineering where, that's where the magic happens is going to happen yeah yeah and then uh, yeah and then we've got this sort of central spine of the whole lake where we've decided to put decide to build this pier on top yeah so it will literally be like um yeah, it's like huge actually from pier here or it's huge from here isn't yeah, it yeah you suddenly get an idea of the scale of yeah, it yeah you know imagine um, like kind of waiting to actually get away from here yeah it's quite a long I'll walk you up to the takeoff spot it's quite a long ride yeah. isn't it yeah no it's a decent really decent length ride so so, so you didn't so yeah you, you know you, you're still at that point where you're a bit like how the fuck did I actually you know yeah, definitely pull this off every day yeah I'm here going this is this is this is amazing it's remarkable but I you know it is absolutely around having good people around who can properly help to deliver this yeah um, and it's it's one thing to have a a good idea or an inspiring idea or vision but uh, actually when it came down to raising the investment it was then about 
me putting around me just incredible people who have got proven track record of delivering stuff like this, even though it's not actually a surfing lake. Um, you know, a lot of the a lot of my team are ex Eden Project, um, right. so they've oh, you know, see they've got a history of having done stuff like this. Um, so just try to go out and, and kind of build the A team, if you like. Yeah. Okay. So this is the this is your takeoff, is it? Yeah. So the water, yeah. Um, the waves get pushed out from this uh, this system underneath uh, the pier here and it pushes up against this reef and a bit like um, a harbour wall break. Yeah. It causes it to sort of wedge up against the wall, sure. which trips the, the wave up. And then as that wave trips up into, and we can define what shape wave that is, it then each of these paddles just adds an extra pulse of energy to the wave. So it just keeps adding energy to the wave as it runs right the way down right. the lake. So how long is the ride going to be if you got... So for here, it's going to be around about 90 metres approximately. Yeah. So it'll be from, from taking off here down to where that sort of purpley hoover is down on the, sure, yeah, of the lake yeah. over there. Yeah. Um, the Henry. Yeah. The industrial Henry. The, the big Henry yeah. in the middle of the lake. <laughs> so that's... Um, so yeah, it'll go down there and then you basically would just pull off into this deeper channel and paddle back. And this paddle back, you can do it in probably about 30, 40 seconds. It's going to keep you fit, actually, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and there'll be a natural rip. Well, not natural, but, you know, a rip that, that will form down here. Yeah. So you could just sit on your board there and then you'll gradually make your way back up to the takeoff zone. Yeah. Or you paddle like crazy thinking, I'm going to get loads of waves. Yeah, um, yeah. And then 20 minutes later realise <laughs> you're pretty screwed. Yeah, well, knackered. so that first wave mm. is going to be quite the Hollywood wave, isn't it? Mm. Looking at this. So mm. who's going who's gonna to have that? I don't know yet. Yeah, yeah I think... Because yeah, you we'll must be see. tempted. No, I'm not at all. I wouldn't be tempted. Either. <laughs> no, Fuck that. I think the pressure would be way too... Because you've got, you've got athletes, right? You've got a team. You know, got a team of athletes. athletes yeah, yeah. We've got a team of um, you know ambassadors and athletes who've been working with us for years. Um, I'm not going to reveal yet our plans, but it's not going to be what most people would expect. Yeah, because yeah. you know that is a great story, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. What's, so when do you when do you reckon? You know, you said that they're going to try and fill it next week, but when when yeah, until so it's it opens? Be, yeah, so it's going to be uh, hopefully Monday by the look of things to fill the lake up. Just doing some final finishes to the lake. Um, two weeks after that, Wave Garden will come in, and then they'll have two weeks to 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 get this all set up and get the waves um, pumping. So I think realistically three maybe four weeks from now we'll be seeing the first proper waves pumping out of here <laughs> that's um, really exciting which is bonkers to think of really. yeah we're sat here now um but yeah can't wait i cannot wait and how's it going to work for for punters you know like what what because i've been to surf snowdonia i'm sure those people listen to this haven't you know you, you you buy time don't you basically you buy is it is it going to be a similar thing Are you gonna yeah i mean um you know it's sold it's sold in 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 sort of hour blocks, if you like, uh, or you know, if you're taking a lesson, then it's like a two-hour experience, I guess. Um, and in theory, in practice, you'll be in the lake itself for probably about 55 minutes, um, and that will give you. Um, I mean, there's so many waves this thing pumps out that you're not you're not going to be able to catch every wave, even if you're the fittest of fit, fit people. Um, I've surfed the one at, at Wave Garden. Um, very blessed to have done that um you know dozens of times yeah and i am absolutely blowing my stack after about 20 25 minutes yeah, i'm it's going long paddle You'd i might fucked. just i might just sit and watch my mates catch a few now yeah um, and i think that's that's the bit that that's going to be great just knowing what it's like at wave garden in spain and then seeing this 
is the experience of paddling back out. It's like, I mean, I've not done many, many sort of trips to far-flung countries, but I, you know, I've seen photos of sort of epic reef breaks in Mentawis or what have you, where you literally are throwing shackers or high-fiving <laughs> your mates as they're flying by, yeah. just being spat out of a barrel. And that's, well, that's, that's the vibe that you get that's here. That's the dream. You're so close to where you're fretting. And you can literally see the look on their face as they're pulling into waves yeah. and being able to hoot them and cheer them on. And that's what this is going to be about, is yeah. about creating that vibe. So friends will be able to book a session. You yeah. can have sessions with your mates. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And how's it going to work for, can you configure it for like, like, you know, if you book it, can you ask for a type of wave or...? Yeah, so at the moment, so once once it's configured by Wavegarden, we'll, we will be able to define what those sessions are like. Um, and I guess that's the fun bit. We're going to have a good couple of weeks where we need to flood this place with people yeah, just and to work out what's going to be the best settings. Sure. Um, so that's hilarious. Yeah. That is really funny. Yeah. Because, yeah, I guess so. Because, like you say, it's new, isn't it? And yeah. you've, had to, you've had to spec this site. Yeah. So it is going to be a total new territory. So, for instance, you could, what you, you could set it up. Yeah theory could set it up that it's almost like a building swell so it starts off sort of quite you know relatively tame and then just sort of builds and gets more and more critical as time goes on over that hour right or maybe people <laughs> don't want that they just want an absolutely mechanical perfect wave yeah time after time after time to practice stuff um and different people will want different things so you know yeah people are going to want different wave. takeoffs aren't they exactly. and you know can you configure all that can you kind of make takeoffs mellower completely and so you can have here uh, a nearly two meter wave that that's a bit like a saunton sand style wave Crum where crumbly. you know it's you get a nice long wall but yeah. it's quite a mellow takeoff yeah. and you can kind of get yourself set um to what they sort of call the beast and slab mode which is <laughs> I, I mean i've i've surfed it a dozen times I'm an okay surfer, I'm not an amazing surfer, but I've never made it. Yeah. Uh, get properly over the falls, <laughs> air dropping into a barrel that just yeah. chews you up. Right. Um, so that's not going to be our standard setting. So stuff like that probably is going to be, you know, uh, specific booking, you know, sp specific slots that people will be able to come and, and try. Yeah. Because otherwise I think there'll be a lot of people <laughs> disappointed in the, uh, in the experience. Yeah. But, you know, maybe to have a, like a Saturday evening, a barrel hour or something sure where people can come and and, and try that out we kind of leads to some interesting sort of competitive possibilities doesn't it as well you know if you wanted to are you going to do contests you can do yeah 100 yeah, yeah so you know you yeah. could you could if you can do it that specifically yeah like a barrel contest yep. or you know and you can put it on random as well so it might be you know one wave comes out and you suddenly got to ride it like a very different style of wave yeah and then the next one suddenly is a really deep tube you've got to try and make the drop yeah so yeah you can bring that you can predictably make that unpredictability if you see what i mean yeah yeah um so that it, for a contest you could then still throw that random setting in there and people don't quite know what they're going to get so how many have you got it are you able to surf whenever you want you're going to be like me yeah <laughs> you got a limitless <laughs> season pass yeah, surely I'll be having, I'll be having surely, words with myself. Surely you built that. <laughs> if the well, it depends. If I mean, uh, we've already opened up the bookings and like loads of the um, slots are already at capacity, so there's not any room for me. But I'm hoping to get a, a you know get my fill before we open, and then um, yeah, without a doubt, there'll probably be some uh, uh, early mornings and winters where maybe I can sneak in. And yeah, I reckon you'll get a few before work. So do you have a set number of people you need to get through the door to to make this viable? 
Yeah, there's like a minimum. Um, please don't ask me the answer, mainly because I don't I can't remember it. But yeah, we definitely, you know, we we we've taken a real prudent approach to the business modelling on this. So, uh, you know, on average, I, I think we sort of break even, uh, or no, not break even, but we we, we we do well as a as a business if we're about forty percent of our of our sort of total capacity, right? Um, approximately, um, and so therefore. You know, if it's if, if if all the research that we've done and the experts who've done for us uh, is 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 correct, then we should do really well, and it should be a real flourishing success. And that's just purely talking about the surfing. Yeah. So on top of that, you know, we've got we're gonna have a beautiful sort of cafe restaurant, um, and it's our own food and our own style that we're developing there. And the same with the retail space. We, you know, we partnered up with Rip Curl on the wetsuits because um, they do do really good warm wetsuits for winter, um, as well as flexible for, for summer. So, but then the rest of that retail space is our retail space. So we'll be, you know, um, making our own, you know, uh, developing our own products there. Yeah. Um, and obviously that helps bolster the business. Uh, accommodation, education, and then a wider site that we can expand into and grow as time goes on. Yeah. So, you know, this is, and again, this is down to having the right investors is that we've got amazing investors. I mean, Craig and I, my business partner, had to see nearly 250 investors over the course of two years. It was absolutely brutal. Sometimes doing like three or four Dragon's Den style sort of meetings a day. Right. Um, and then eventually uh, came across uh, uh, this company who who are backing us, and um, yeah, absolutely, they want to see a financial return, but they're it's not at the expense of everything else, um, and that's critical really because there are a lot of particularly sort of private equity style investors who are going, yeah, absolutely, you know, we can back this, um, but we want to see, you know, we want to see our returns back in three years, and you're going, that doesn't give us any headroom. Um, yeah, that's, that's going to really squeeze us. That's punchy. Yeah. So to have investors who believe in us, believe in the management, believe in the longer term vision as well, and believe in the rollout um, opportunities has been literally golden for us. Yeah. Um, and yeah, to have those kind of you know, smart but sensitive investors, is um, it was worth waiting for without a doubt. Yeah. yeah. But the vision is to expand it take it further you mentioned yeah. London you mentioned yeah, so London we got an epic site in London uh, just just at the t- top of the Olympic Valley in Lee, Lee Valley um, which is an, a beautiful beautiful site um, and uh, great authority local authority to be working with on it um, I, I guess what's really interesting about that site is it's got that sort of Olympic heritage and sporting outdoor recreation heritage to it but it's also in an area that's got some real social and particularly health um, um, and economic issues in it and again I think it'll allow us you know we'll find our feet really well with Bristol but then it allows us to really supercharge some of that that, you know some of that why again and that purpose that social yeah contract aspect of things exactly yeah and you know we'll be real close it's only 17 minutes from the centre of the city but as I say it's in an area that historically has been pretty underserved so to be able to bring something hopefully is going to be iconic and a great great addition to the local community but then really hopefully use it as a driver for people's health and well-being and employment and all those things that potentially we can deliver there you know that's that's what really floats my boat yeah Yeah, right and what about other other countries is that also a plan yeah so it's it's real interesting because you know we we probably get um 
At the moment, I'd say probably every other day we get a developer from somewhere around the world saying, A, can we come and have a look at your place? And B, <laughs> I bet you do. if it works well, <laughs> can, um, can we talk to you about how we could partner up with you and you help us deliver our project? Um, yeah. And that's either a landowner or somebody with the funding or a local authority. Yeah, or someone who's had the idea and is, yeah, no, is and just going nowhere near getting it to come. Yeah, yeah, sure. I can believe, you know, um, suddenly it's like, well, that guy's done yeah. it. Let's get him involved. Because you can, yeah, you could definitely supercharge the process now knowing, you know, all the, all the things we've got wrong and all the things that we think we've got right, that once we've proven that, then we could literally strip three, four years with out of a process from those learnings. Yeah. Um, and with a team around us that can, you know, it's like a blueprint to then be able to deliver. Um, and the key thing for us is we're not going to just get involved in any project. They've got to be ones that absolutely buy into the why as well again. So if we feel like we can, can deliver a project and it's in a great place, um, but also allows us to double the impact that we're doing at the moment, then that, that's the bit that really excites us. So if, you know, I'm not saying never, but, but if, some, if it was just a sort of hyper wealthy person wanting to build a private lake somewhere and not really interested in the rest of it, you know, I think there'll be real limited enthusiasm. Sure. Yeah. But if, you know, the couple of the projects we're looking and, and, and uh, discussing at the moment, they're similar to London, they're like big cities, got some big issues that we could really be a part of helping. Yeah, that's, that's really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've got one more question, um, which is, when's it going to be enough for you, do you think? Because obviously you've had this like <laughs> massive decade-long vision that you've, that you've completed. Um, and it sounds like you've got an even bigger vision to fulfill now. So when do you think you'll, when do you think that'll end? Yeah, that's such a good question. And I have to say that's the first time anybody's asked me that except for maybe myself. Um, I bet your wife's wanting to ask you that. <laughs> yeah, I bet she's wanting to. She probably thinks it every day, like, when's he gonna stop? Because um, clearly you're driven by something to pull something like this off. You know, you can, you, you know, you, it's a great story and you tell it really well and you make it sound relatively straightforward, but you know, clearly it's not been straightforward and clearly there's, there's a huge amount of drive involved in this. Yeah, there is. Um, when would I stop? I think I would stop when either I'm too tired, <laughs> I really just can't carry on, but I, I, I seem to have a, um, um, a pretty full tank most of the time. But really for me, it's about feeling like, um, or just knowing that, that the reason why I set about doing this has been fulfilled. Um, a lot of this has been driven, you know, I've talked about it a little bit publicly about um, my dad's death and, and like a real sense of understanding for the first time properly about mortality and, and, and feeling like what I've done has, is, is enough to have contributed towards a better world. Um, yeah, well that's that, that's that thing that everybody has, isn't it? This, you know, like what, like getting too sort of existential about it, like, you know, what is the point? Like what, what, yeah. what, what's the point of work? What's the point of what am I gonna leave behind? You know, those those are very human questions, aren't they? Yeah, they are. And I think, you know, and sometimes it is only in death that you start to really do start to appreciate the life around and then and then and then that sense that real sense and again it's 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 horribly cliched at times, but that real you know, we we we've got one shot at this. Yeah. Um, and and if I can feel in some way that I've contributed to a, a better place, um, 
and you know then then you know I want to play as big a part as I can in that and when I can't anymore then I'll hand that over to whoever wants to continue to take over that reign so again that's for me that's about like capacity building that's about building a team around and then a bunch of followers and then a load of people around who will just keep keep carrying that on forwards well beyond my time you know this is you know you can see the way we built this this is not something that's five ten year project and oh, kind of ditch it and go and do something else this yeah, is it's a proper you know it's a legacy proper going to be around for mm. 50 to 100 years and hopefully be many more so i think i think i'll keep doing it until i feel like there are enough people around who can just keep going on without me needing to input so much right um but that's we're a long way off that conversation um and yeah i'm you know, I'm invested in, in this and invested in surfing for the long haul. Um, a lot of the work I do with like British surfing and surfing England and where I want to help take adaptive surfing. I think that's, um, you know, that's, that's still 10, 20 years worth of work ahead, no doubt. And uh, I'll keep going for as long as I've got the energy for it. So given that, um, what, you know, what you just talked about this, you know, looking for a sense of purpose, you know, mm. the, the mortality thing that you mentioned and and the legacy sort of aspect to this how do you feel when you look at it what's what's you feeling um actually right now right right now uh, i don't always get that feeling but a real sense of pride yeah um i do sitting here knowing that we are literally you know you could almost count down in hours till we start filling this up and the amount that we've achieved um and pride in the team without a doubt um still definitely pinching myself it's like so many mornings I wake up having had so many years of waking up going how how am I going to make this you know what's the next challenge and how are we going to make it happen you know this is you know this is a this is not a runaway train this is a train though that is full steam right now yeah. and it's about to deliver um, and uh, yeah I've realised I need to start just watching a little bit just taking a little bit more of a an oversight on this really because it's a moment that you know this is never going to happen again um but yeah pride i guess yeah yeah, yeah. well thanks for your time today man i uh, really enjoyed awesome. that it's good to catch up Paul. yeah definitely i'm looking forward to surfing it yeah not long now no so there you go that was my conversation with nick housefield about the whole wave project hope you enjoy it gotta say felt good to get another conversation in the locker and uh and yeah just to get another podcast out of the way because i'd been very aware that i'd had a bit of time off and uh, yeah, nice to be back at it. want to thank Nick for taking time out of a very busy schedule to speak to me about the whole project. Hope you enjoyed it. Go and check it out. It looks amazing. I'm going to try and get down there for the opening and uh, actually surf the thing. So keep an eye on my Instagram at We Look Sideways for that. So yeah, like I say, a few weeks off, very busy with work. Been a lot of stuff going on, actually. I wrote a story for the new print edition of White Lines, which is on the way, which was a real pleasure great to work with ed blumfield on that very much looking forward to seeing my work in print again in that title over 20 years after i had my first piece published which was a steve bailey interview if anyone cares yeah you know great to see white lines returning from the the ashes as it were i think that's out in around october i have written a 10 page piece about what i've learned from action sports while doing this podcast so I recommend you place a thoughtful hand on chin when reading that one because I certainly did when I was writing it. Um, I also continue to work on the book project. I believe I've mentioned 
that my photographer friend Matt George has been masterminding. That was a lot of fun. It was three joint interviews for the Vans Triple Project. I interviewed Blake Paul and Arthur Longo, um, Benny Urban, snowboarder with the best name ever, and Danimals, snowboarder with the second best name ever. And I also interviewed Fridge, third best name ever. And uh, Rene, I'm not even going to try and pronounce his last name. I can't pronounce it, but you know who he is if you're into snowboarding. Um, really interesting getting those boys' perspective on what they've been up to. Definitely felt every one of my 43 years on a couple of occasions. But hopefully um, you'll enjoy those interviews. I did record them. I'm going to think about putting those out as podcasts. But Matt's book, which is called Triple, is going to be out soon and uh, all the words by me. So yeah, check that one out. Like I said, also put on a live event called Pin Drop, um, for which I interviewed Nicholas Muller, Scove, Leanne Curran and Mickey Smith in front of a live studio audience up there in that London. Really enjoyed that one and uh, got to thank those four for being such great sports. I did record it, but in classic fashion, the sound is absolutely awful. Um, I think there was an issue with the lead Basically, there's a god-awful hum throughout the whole thing. My mate, who's a bit of an audio genius, um, is trying to salvage it right now. So maybe we'll release it. I don't know. When I listened to it, I thought that is actually unlistenable and probably not worth releasing because I have always tried to get the sound quality right on these things. People seem to appreciate that. So I don't know. Maybe not. If I do release it, there's another issue, which is the music because the format was the guests discussed discussed, um, songs that are important to them in their lives and careers. You know, perhaps we'll get around that with judicious use of a Spotify playlist or something like that. I'll keep you posted. Your best way of finding out what's happening with that segue is to sign up for the newsletter over at www.wearelookingsideways.com where I will no doubt keep you informed on what's going on with that. So yeah, back at it. Looking forward to ticking a few more off before we get to the uh, the milestone of 100 episodes. Thanks for listening. As ever, if you want to get in touch, like I said, head, head over to my Instagram at we look sideways or get over to my website over at www.wearelookingsideways.com all right nice one see you next time 